You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Media Kicks, the leading influencer marketing agency. Media Kicks connects the world's top brands with engaged audiences through social media influencers. Their campaigns drive brand awareness, audience engagement, and product sales for top brands like Nordstrom, Blue Apron, David Yurman, Hallmark, and more. Visit MediaKicks.com to get started with your influencer campaign today. You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video space. I'm your host, James Creech, and today we're joined by Jonathan DeBoer, Managing Director of Dutch MCN Online. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, James. Nice to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. So, you know, we just came off of VidCon, and you're traveling out here to the States for the conference and to see some people. Well, how did you think of the show so far this year? The VidCon show? Yes. Yeah, I think it was great again. It's my third VidCon. Uh, been here in 2013, 2014, skipped last year, and I was actually disappointed about that, so I'm happy to be back. It was great to see the event still growing. It's, it's huge now, um, even bigger than, uh, than previous years. And I was surprised about the amount of sponsors and brands being in the expo. That, that was just amazing. Yeah, I noticed that as well. It seems like every year it becomes less of a just a creator fan event and much more about the entire industry, right? So having a bigger presence from the platforms, the live streaming services, and certainly from brands and agencies. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, for me, VidCon is always a sneak peek into the future because whatever happens here in the US will happen in one or two years in the Netherlands. So uh, we're always a bit behind but it gives my it gives me an unfair advantage uh, to my competitors being here and listening to the stories of the creators, uh, but also everybody from the industry speaking to them again and learning about the, what they are doing now. It's, it's really interesting. That's great. So, what were some of the key takeaways from this VidCon? Well, definitely that vertical video is okay. That's something I learned uh, this this weekend because I think I have not seen any horizontal screen. Um, on any wall or on any booth, they all have vertical uh, screens. And that's all because of the upcoming live video apps, I guess, um, and Snapchat. And we all use our phones uh, in ver- vertical position. So actually, if back or in, in the Netherlands, uh, it's still when you try to film uh, vertical, people uh, say, oh, what are you doing? You should film horizontal. And, you know, it's still a bad thing to do. But mm. here you see everybody now uh, using Snapchat and filming. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something interesting, I think. So how did you originally find your way into this online video industry? Well, that's a nice story, actually. It was four years ago. I had a small artist management company together with my partner in business. And, um, and that was called? Romario. Romario. Oh, the, 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 the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was called Biz Boys. Biz Boys, okay. And we uh, did artist management of talents from the big uh, talent shows. So X Factor, The Voice, Idols. And whenever they don't reach the final broadcast, uh, they are also not stuck in any contracts with record labels, etc. So uh, we could easily take advantage of the social media reach that they have built up in a short time being on television. Um, and then trying to get them on other shows or concerts or trying to uh, produce like a track with them and video clip. So that was okay and it was fun. 
and they were really popular when they were on television. But we saw that as soon as they disappeared from the TV, then it was also a bit done with the fame. So at the same time, I was a YouTube viewer myself. I was watching videos of the Shaytards. And uh, Shay Carl, he's one of the co-founders of Maker Studios, decided to move to LA to start his own business. And that was Maker. So from the first day, actually, that Maker was founded, I got a sneak peek into um, what he was doing, what Maker was doing, how they were working with the talents, uh, how they were getting investments in, how they were building the studios. So really um, interested in, of course, Shay and his family life, but the whole business side was really triggering me to um, see if we could do something comparable in the Netherlands. And then we just try to find the business model and, 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 and we try to find uh, investors in the Netherlands. But back then everybody was like, nah, this is not going to work. And um, just making a bit of fun of me and saying that I shouldn't do it. And then we got in touch with Mediacraft and Mediacraft was already doing exactly what Maker was doing, but then in Germany. It was also a few stars and a few business people uh, joined forces and they founded Mediacraft. Um, and they just had their first investment round. So they could grow internationally. How did you get in touch with Mediacraft? I got in touch through Ilko. And Ilko is the founder of the Dutch YouTube Gathering. That's the biggest YouTube fan event of the Netherlands. Well, I, I reached out to him because maybe maybe he wanted to start an MCN with me. Um, but he was more interested in the event. So he's actually the Dutch hand green. But he knew Maker, or he knew Mediacraft from his visit to VidCon in 2012. So he said, well, if you want to start an MCN, maybe you should get in touch with Mediacraft. And so that happened. So you started as a country manager for Mediacraft in the Netherlands and eventually grew to manage all of Benelux for them. Yeah, it was, it was the first country besides Germany for Mediacraft uh, where they um, started working. And back then, we, it was just the two of us. It was Romario and me, no YouTubers, no office space, nothing, no productions, no advertisers. So... Uh, the first few months we used to investigate the market and, and see what the possibilities were. And then we tried to get some talent in. And that worked because there was not a real MCN yet in the Netherlands. There was DiviMove trying to get in some talent working from their uh, Berlin office, uh, but they had no local presence. So that was our uh, advantage back then. And at the same time, we started uh, producing uh, an original channel because that was an important strategy back then for MCNs um, and Mediacraft found out that they wanted to do that as well in Germany. So doing it in the Netherlands was a, was a logical step to take. So we did that. And then after six months, we opened an office in Amsterdam. And now three years later, we work with 150 uh, different YouTube creators. We have 220 channels in our CMSs and we have uh, five original channels. And the original channels are doing a great job. We have really cool talent and some uh, big clients. Yeah, it's going great. So your partnership with Mediacraft made you probably one of the first Dutch MCNs. Obviously, Divimove, which is also German, was playing in the region at the time. But today you have folks like RTL, Social Influencers. How has the Dutch MCN space changed in those three years? Yeah, well, it, it... didn't change dramatically um, because social influencers was already there when we uh, started our office there. Uh, but back then it was more like an agency. Uh, but because we came into the market, they decided to 
become an MCN as well. And for a long time, it was actually only social influencers, Divamoop and Mediacraft. And then all of a sudden, RTL came and they started their own MCN. Um, so it has by, become a bit more competitive, um, but still uh, no big changes if you compare it to two years ago. And earlier this year, Mediacraft Netherlands was purchased by Iris van de Ende, the daughter of the legendary Inamal co-founder, Joop. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yo. Yo. Okay, yeah. thank you. So, yeah. so how has that changed the business? How did that come about? Well, it, it's, it happened quite recently. We are, uh, the acquisition was officially at the 1st of May. But it was, it was something that I was actually working towards for a while. Because um, I think it was a year ago that I decided to see if we could lo- localize a bit more. Because we were part of this German MCN, um, and we had actually a German name because Mediacraft is really—it's a German name. And Mediacraft was in a turbulent uh, uh, time at that at that time. So I was wondering if if we could localize more, of, or that we could maybe change our name, or so I was investigating the opportunities to to see if we could sell possibly. And then through uh, a big touch star, an, an, a traditional artist. Paul de Leeuw, he visited our office once and he was uh, so excited about what we were doing that he uh, contacted Iris and Iris um, actually bought his company two years or earlier um, and he said, you really have to check out what they are doing. And at that time, she was already investigating possibilities to do more online because her, her current company produces TV shows. Uh, so she's a TV producer and she's doing a great job, uh, but she really wants to learn more about online. So uh, we got in touch, I think it was six months ago, and without saying it, we already knew that we were going towards a full acquisition of the Dutch company. Congratulations, that's very exciting. Yeah, thanks. It's really exciting, and it uh, it offers us so many uh, opportunities uh, for the future. It's um, We localize now, Uh, we are even more independent than than we were before. Uh, because yeah, we, we got bought, but still we are not part of a big broadcaster or something. So we're still very flexible. Um, the team remains the same. We're still at the same office, but now we have even more opportunities to invest in our talents, in uh, new original channels, um, and in servicing our clients even better, uh, but also starting new and exciting initiatives and working with uh, famous Dutch people. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. So, how did you settle on the name online? Yeah, it was, well, yeah, always when you start a company, it's, it's a really important thing to think about. We came up with a few, um, like, really uh, modern names or, um, you know, the, the, the fresh, short, fun startup-like uh, names, um, while uh, Iris is actually quite traditional, uh, and her uh, company is called Media Lane. Her, she preferred to have the, 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 the lane part in the name. Uh, she preferred, but it was not uh, obligated. So we were free to do whatever we wanted. Um, and then all of a sudden, like four people at the same time came up with the name Onlane uh, because it looks like online and the lane part is still in it. So, yeah, that's how And it, it works in multiple languages. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. Oh, that's terrific. So it's kind of meant to be if so many people all kind of settled on the same thing at the same time. Yeah, it was really a coincidence because I uh, sent out an email uh, at our office uh, asking to just uh, uh, submit a few names. 
Um, and three people independently from each other chose the name Anleen. Uh, and the same happened at her office. So, yeah, that, that was the name. We yeah, it's a great fit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how has your focus changed? Or what does the future now hold for Online? Yeah, well, still, we will remain an MCN. Um, because we work with 150 different talents. But we try to adapt more to the current industry. We know that productions are really important um, and we know how to produce. We have five original channels and they're all doing a great job. Uh, one of them is uh, Bonkers. Uh, we have 380,000 subscribers on it, generating between six and seven million views a month. And that for, for the Dutch market, that's, that's huge. So we want to do that more. But we are also uh, trying to see if we can service our talents more on their careers and not just their YouTube channels, but we want to grow their whole career because it's it's not just YouTube anymore. A lot of more platforms are there for them to, to make content, uh, but also the opportunities for uh, selling merchandise or uh, being a TV host or directing a movie. So yeah, those are areas that we want to focus on or actually whatever the talent wants, um, we want to be there to help them. What are some of those key platforms? Is it you know the typical global platforms we think about, like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or are there other local platforms that are important to your business? Yeah, mainly the, the, the big platforms. Uh, there are some local platforms now um, uh, emerging in the Netherlands, but not significant revenue uh, bringers or audience generators yet. We are looking at it, but there's no real need to step in and at the same time um you know everybody is launching their own platform and if i think that full screen has done a great job i like the platform a lot and you see go 90 and vessel for example but still i think nobody has really been successful in doing that and in the netherlands you have makers channel and s1 tv and also there's still there's no success story and they all turned off the view count and so I still want to stick to um, what we do best, and that's YouTube and the big social media platforms. But of course, we are looking at ways to see if we can build an own audience off YouTube. But you're definitely still investing and focusing on YouTube because mm-hmm. that's very important. Yeah, of course. Now, do your talents predominantly make content in Dutch, or are they also producing content in English or other languages? 99% of the content is Dutch. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because the Dutch, they all speak English very well. So every big successful American channel is a competitor for our Dutch talent. So the only way to um, stand out is to make really good Dutch content. Um, uh, for part for the, for, the, for the Dutch that don't speak English, but also because sometimes you just want to see local programming or uh, when you really look up to someone... Um, it's great if they're really near, so if they're Dutch. So yeah, we are working with Cinemates, for example, and Cinemates has done, they have done a lot of English content, uh, but we also always said if you, the chance that you become popular worldwide is small, uh, but the chance that you become really popular in the Netherlands is way bigger if you start producing Dutch content. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Are there other territories in Europe that you would look to expand to in the future? Yeah, I think we have some, we, we have ambitions to grow internationally, but not with our current MCN model. It would be, it would be 
almost impossible to now start a German network or uh, go to France and think that we can be one of the big guys there because I think the market has saturated a bit. But we are uh, really active in Belgium. Um, and then there we are, the, the only MCN actually in Belgium. So that's that's something that we will keep doing, but definitely a focus on, on the Netherlands uh, or the Dutch-speaking territory. Um, but there are, so, yeah, like I said, some amb- ambitions to become an international player, but not as an MCN. Yeah, that seems like a smart approach. Yeah. Focusing on the regions where you have a lot in common, as well as a strategic advantage in terms of being able to work with creators and, and produce content there. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think Dutch or European MCNs differ from, say, American networks? Um, well, definitely the um, investments that are being done in, in the MCNs. The audiences are way bigger, of course, for, for the US-based MCNs. So I think there are a lot of opportunities for um, uh, European MCNs, but it's like it's like back in the days. Uh, if you are a Hollywood studio and you produce a big Hollywood movie, then you can broadcast or, or distribute it worldwide. So you have a huge, almost infinite audience. And for the, the European MCNs, they're more focused on their own territories so you have to do it with less money and you have to do it with less eyeballs and the advertisers are willing to join and to pay for it but the budgets are way lower so i guess you can really compare it to to what maker does for example um but you can do it on, on a smaller scale and with the smaller scale how does that influence your strategy i think we we still have to be really hands-on and we need to go getting mentality because you know that, that producing your own original content is important or really taking care of your talent is really important. But that, that's not, um, it's not for free. So you have to pay your team, you have to pay your production equipment and your studios. It has been actually fun now to learn how to work on a shooting string budget. But sometimes it's challenging as well because advertisers see what their colleagues, for example, are doing abroad. And they try to copy it here or in the Netherlands, for example, and then they see what the, what the challenges are. So it's sometimes challenging, uh, but a lot of fun. We've seen American MCNs like Maker, Fullscreen and Awesomeness make inroads in Europe, but traditionally more of uh, you know, the, the Western, very far Western Europe countries like France, UK, Spain. Do you think that we'll see them make inroads into the Netherlands as well? I'm not sure. I don't think so because the I think that the, the markets are just too small mm-hmm. um, and and saturated at the same time. So there could be ways of them buying local players. So Maker, for example, could choose to buy a Dutch MCN. But yeah, again, the, the markets are just really small and, and and maybe not not even interesting for them. Do you think that the future will lead to greater consolidation? Are we going to see RTL or Proceven with its Studio 71 uh, investment acquiring more European players? Yeah, probably. Probably. I think it's not only good for them, but eventually good for the whole industry. It, it sounds weird, but sometimes it can be it could can damage the market when there are too many players or uh, when when a few MCNs are really trying to compete with each other, I don't think that's an advantage for the talent. And why is that? Just because there aren't better sales opportunities or 
the talent aren't being prioritized. It's just kind of a short-term gold rush to see who can sign up the most creators. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the latter because it's, it, it is indeed a gold rush. And, and sometimes it looks like uh, in the Netherlands or in Europe, you have this uh, football transfer market. So when you have a really good player at Ajax in Amsterdam, then you're sure that they're going to be bought by Barcelona, for example. Um, and we see, we see the same thing happening in Europe and in the Netherlands. So there are some examples of talents really uh, be, could, being taken care of in a good way by their uh, MCN. But then another MCN comes and offering them a lot of money and they choose for the money, but then they end up having no support at all or something or no brand deals at all. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's still a vibrant industry. I've heard that complaint from several others. If you think about Lily Singh, right, becoming a huge Canadian talent and then being signed to Studio 71, they've recognized that at some point the most activity is happening in L.A. So a lot of creators are incentivized or drawn to L.A. if they want to level up and work with a larger MCN or, or be in more traditional entertainment productions. I think, you know, we're going to continue to see that gravitational pull towards the largest players, which today are based in the U.S., though I'm hopeful that that will change over time. I think we're going to see more MCN superpowers coming out of Europe, coming out of Asia and Latin America in the near future. Yeah, yeah, probably. I think that Me Too, is that the name of the mm -hmm. Latin uh, MCN? Yes, also based here in L.A., though. Yeah, oh, yeah that's mm -hmm. true. But they are doing a great job, and they have some big investments. They have, yeah. So um, Upfront Ventures, as well as Awesomeness TV and others, oh, yeah. have invested yeah, in Me I Too. Think, well, that's a good thing. Well, although they're based in L.A., it's a good thing that they can service the talents in, in their own languages. Because we have seen the same thing, that, that some Dutch talent were signed at Maker or signed at Machinima. Uh, but they don't get any support at all because it's it's there's a language barrier and it, there's a huge difference barrier. So taking care of the talents in their own language is, is, is a really good thing. But at the other hand, I don't think a Swedish MCN could serve as PewDiePie the way Maker has done. So, yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. Me Too increasingly seems more focused on U.S. Hispanics than truly making a Latin American play. I think we will see local uh, players like Fair Latino, Fav, uh, Tube, and others who are growing rapidly in yeah. Latin America. But uh, yeah, Me Too certainly does continue to do well in its niche and I think you know has global expansion plans. You talked a little bit about this earlier, but I'm curious. Uh, you mentioned the video production company and, and a talent representation group, BizBoys, that you started. Yeah. You also co-founded an events business. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, um, the events business, it was Pool and Lounge. Uh, that was actually a passion project because my, my companion in Biz Boys, uh, his, his name is Romario van het Land. That's his last name. And my last name is De Boer. So if you connect the two, you have Boer and Land. And that means pasture. So that's, that's just a fun gimmick. Uh, so that's how we came up with the name. Uh, but we really were into the, uh, the events business. And we, we liked events and especially the, the crazy hype events so uh, for example bubble balls do you know that no you you you, you put on a, a big uh, blow-up uh, suit um, and then you go play soccer while you have this big ball around you but also things that like slide the city that they have done it in san francisco they build a huge uh, water slide actually everything that Devin Supertram does in his videos all the crazy things we try to do the same in the netherlands uh, but that was pure because we really just enjoyed doing that and enjoyed people having, uh, seeing people having fun with our product. 
But eventually we saw that it took too much time from our core activities as running MediaCraft. So we tried, uh, we, we decided to stop it. And have you always kind of considered yourself an entrepreneur? How did you find yourself starting these kind of companies? Well, my father uh, has always been um, a school director. So actually, when I was really young, I always said, I'm going to be a director later as well. So what do you want to be? I want to be a director. And that's, that's not, not, not a film director, but that's the word of, I just want to be a boss because my father was the boss of the school. And then when I got older, I saw my uncle doing a great job. He also had his own company in uh, television commercials. So not producing them, but coming up with all the ideas for fun television commercials. And I was really interested in that as well. And I wasn't doing a really great job at school. So uh, struggling there. And uh, I, was, I think I just was too excited to go and work and, and, and do things that I loved the most. Uh, instead of being at school. So, yeah, uh, it just all came together that being an entrepreneur uh, suits me the best. Did your father or maybe your uncle give you any, any advice? Well, actually, my uncle, this is a fun story, my uncle was one of the people who uh, discouraged me to start an MCN. Mm, why is that? Because he was seeing how much fun I had just working with my, my companion on our really small artist management company. Um, and he said, just keep it small, keep it Keep it fun. Um, if you want to, if you want to do this, then you need investors, and you need a big office space, and you need studios and equipment, and you know you have to go to the bank, for example, and get some money there. And that those are things you don't want to worry about. Just go have fun in the things that you're doing now. But that even got me excited more to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Prove him wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and my father was uh, was actually the one uh, uh, encouraging me to uh, proceed or pursue my dreams uh, because at one time I was not doing a great job at business and I went to my father and I said well maybe if I would go back to school would you help me financially and he said no because I know the potential you have so helping you to go back to school really won't help you on the long term I guess and so, it sounds like school wasn't really a fit for you you needed to learn and teach yourself yeah yeah so that was actually great advice yeah how was your uncle's advice holding up are you still having fun I'm yeah, definitely still having fun. It's it sounds cliche, but I I don't go to work. That's 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 how I feel about my job. I ne- I I actually have to drive quite a bit every day, but it's it's just every day is big fun at the office. It's it's big fun to to see uh, my dreams developed into a real thing, into a real company. And I remember four years ago, four and a half years ago, I was watching the, the, the Shade Arts videos and thinking, oh man, Los Angeles, that would be so, that would be a dream come true if I ever get there. And then at the same time, saying to myself, no, of course, you're not ever going to get there. You know what it costs to fly there. And, you know, I was actually holding back my dreams back then. And now, four years later, I've been here you are. You're in LA for three times. And here I am in LA, downtown, recording a podcast. That's terrific. What books have you read recently that you've just absolutely enjoyed? The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And I am, yeah, my girlfriend gave me a book. And the, book, and the title is Stop Being Busy or something. So I think that's, um, that's something she tries to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a fun thing to add that I think that the best book that you can read as an entrepreneur is the Turtle and the Hare. Is that the, the good chronicle? The parable, yep. About uh, yeah. slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. So I've read the book when I was when I was a kid. 
And then a few years ago, I heard a, um, an American entrepreneur talking about it again. And I thought, oh, wait, let's read the book again. And it's, it's of course, it's a metaphor, but it's a great metaphor. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of examples of that here in the U.S. I'm sure there are many more, even internationally, about companies that have you know, tried to run fast, raise money, didn't quite have the business model figured out, weren't listening to customers yeah. and have failed as yeah. a result. And and then on the other hand, there are a lot of successful companies that have started small and grown organically and kept it fun yeah. the whole time. Absolutely. Good. That's good advice. What's coming next? If you had to make some predictions about the online video industry and, you know, do that from where you sit, whether that's in the Netherlands, if that's the European market in general, what do you think is going to happen? Well, five years ago, I think nobody could predict where we are now. So it's really hard to see what will be happening in the next five years. But definitely virtual reality, uh, live streaming, um, those are things that I really uh, keep my eye on. But I'm not sure what's, what's happening there. But if you look at FitCon, there were, I think, at least 10 live streaming platforms being there or being there as a, as a keynote speaker or joining panels or being a sponsor of the event. I, I have seen Live Lee, I have seen Live Me, there was this super superstar or super me. Um, and YouTube other- made an announcement about improvements to its live streaming capabilities. Facebook obviously is making a big bet on live streaming. Yeah, and then you have Meerkat and Periscope. So there are a lot of live streaming platforms all doing exactly the same. Keeping your phone in vertical mode, sh- shooting a selfie video, and people can comment on it and, and give you hearts or likes or, or other gifts. So there's definitely something going on there, but I don't see it monetizing in a big way yet. So yeah, eager to learn more. And for the rest, yeah, well, I have you. I already took these steps, but really taking good care of the of the talents because although you don't want to be completely dependent on the talents as a company. I think you always have to put them first because they bring in the audience, they bring the authenticity. Um, and whenever I want to launch a new format or an original channel, I I need the talents to be part of it, um, to make it a good show and to uh, keep uh, the, the viewers engaged. So taking good care of the talents and again, going in for the long term and not for quick money uh, is very important uh, in that area. One of the other big announcements at VidCon this year was the launch of the first international VidCons. So there will be one held in Melbourne, Australia, and of course, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I was so surprised hearing that. <laughs> it's, and, and still, of course, I already approached the, the VidCon organization, but I'm, I'm really curious how they see that, that event taking place. Because uh, every local market, at least in Europe, they already have their own fan events, so there's video days in Germany. It's actually the biggest. It's bigger than VidCon in audience uh, or in ticket sales. And there is, uh, for example, the Dutch YouTube gathering in the Netherlands. They, Somewhere in the city in London. Yeah. Several others. Mm-hmm. There are big, there, the, the audiences that want to go to these events already found the events that they like. What I'm trying to say is that if VidCon comes to Amsterdam, they will have to bring at least 30 really, really big American creators because that can draw the audiences from Poland, for example, or from France or from Italy to go to Amsterdam and finally be able to meet their favorite US-based YouTubers. But if they don't do that, there is no reason for someone from Italy coming to Amsterdam to see maybe one or two Italian creators and for the rest, 
a German creator or a Polish creator, they don't care about it. And if I look at myself, if there would be VidCon taking place in Paris, I'm, I'm not interested in French creators or in German creators or Spanish. I don't even know them. So uh, I heard Hank or John Green uh, talking about it this week, that they want to focus on the local talents uh, uh, for VidCon in Europe. Um, but I don't... You think that's a mistake? Yeah, mm. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how their thinking evolves as we uh, get nearer to those events next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would love to help them out. Uh, I already approached them and... I have been a FitCon visitor myself for three years, so maybe we could help them a bit. There we go. Let's hope they're listening. Yeah. (laughs) If you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? Actually, I had pitched uh, a company idea uh, to an investor uh, six months ago that is an internet service provider. So what I see is that internet is playing a huge role in our life. That's obvious. But it's going to be even more important in 10 years because our whole home will be connected and we were we will be having VR experiences in our living room. And you know you really need the bandwidth to be able to keep doing that. We will be completely dependent on the internet uh, in, in, in 10 years, if we are not already. But I don't need my television subscription or the radio signal coming in. So... The idea was to be an internet service provider um, and specialized in just bringing in the big bandwidth um, and offering a package of all the OTT services and uh, all the subscriptions with a discount. Interesting. So essentially using something like fiber uh, for much faster internet speeds, but bundling that together with services, yeah. whether that's you know SVOD or OTT subscription opportunities so they can enjoy premium content uh, in addition to their regular internet service. Yeah, and then, then then I had a platform or an app attached to it. So whenever you, uh, the app recognizes if, uh, if you're a client at my company, um, and then you can just monthly switch on and switch off all the services. Um, so you only pay for what you use. And actually the investor, it was interested, but he said, you don't need to be a, a, an, an internet service provider for it. You just go and, and build the app because a bundle of all these services could be interesting. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a move towards that in the US and other markets of you know the skinny bundle or a la carte bundling. But with that, do you think that if you were to go that route, you'd have to then navigate some very complex business development relationships with the major ISPs or with the OTT and SVOD services? Yeah, I guess. And that it, I think it could work because they um, realized that they will have to find new ways to also be present in the households of the future. And someone who is 18 years old right now will probably never have a TV subscription and they do need internet. Um, So when they buy a home in five years, you want to be there. Yeah, very good. I like it. Well, maybe those who are listening can invest and get a hold of Jonathan and uh, maybe that'll be your next startup. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Get in touch. <laughs> Very cool. So speaking of that, where can people find out more about you and more about online? We try to have a blog post every week on uh, online.nl. It's actually online.nl slash blog. Uh, so there we tell a lot of our uh, activities or news about our influencers or uh, our clients. Um, and on social media, I am everywhere found on um, at JonathanDEB. So that's Jonathan De Boer, but then the EB uh, at Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 
Well, we'll look forward to connecting with you there. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was uh, phenomenal getting to hang out with you at VidCon, meet for the first time. But also, as I shared, I was so excited to have you on the program. And it's interesting to get some insight into the Dutch market specifically, but kind of a broader European perspective as well. Great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Oh,